people of Earth. If you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'd be mad at myself, younger self, for, for having enjoyed this it so yeah. much. You know, um, but I was talking with somebody who I think I think it's one of my coworkers who who had read only one of Incarnations of Immortality and really liked oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he was telling me, what was that one where death was? And I said, yeah, it's, it's from Incarnations of Immortality. And it comes a pale horse, and he is like, yeah, the guy's death. And I said, yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it was sort of like that. Like the kids in the hall sketch. You know, the guy who dresses like his mother and he kills people, psycho. No, it started with an S. Uh, psycho. It's psycho. She turns out to be a skeleton. And he runs a hotel, a motel. <laughs> it's psycho. <laughs> so, you end up stabbing him. That is what happens at the end of this. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's good one. But I've certainly had that those kinds of conversations. Anyway, if we're recording, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting on May seventeenth. Is it not? It is. Oh it my is gosh, indeed. Tuesday. I, Tuesday. Uh, yes, uh, for reasons that we will explain in just a moment. Uh, and of course, uh, sitting here. We were addressed for the prom, so we might as well go. I, that's what I kind of felt. Uh, no, this really wasn't for the prom, but I dressed for work. You're still morning prince. You think this is more like an aubergine? It's a darker, it's a burgundy. That's that's purple enough for. Uh, I don't know. For men. For men's ability to see color. Uh, anyway, uh, and of course we're here at the Brett Cave, and the other voice you hear there is podcast producer. Rick Brett Snyder. There it is. Of the titular Brett Cave. Of the San Jose Brett Snyders. Where was it first? Where did you guys come from? Well, I came from L.A. But the family several generations back were in Germany. Oh, really? Yes. I wouldn't have guessed from wouldn't you? Brett Schneider. Brett Schneider. Um, all right. Anyway, so we got some comics news. We got some movie news. We got some TV news. Uh we're going to, uh, of course, if you're listening to this on iTunes, whatever you're listening to us on, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do find us there, please rate us, review us, subscribe, tell your friends. You know, podcast advertisement now, it really is word of mouth. So definitely, if you like us, share us. I say that with every article on Fanboy Planet as well. Uh, you can also find the podcast on, on Stitcher. You can find it, of course, at fanboyplanet.com. As I think I noted last week, I was saying, oh, you can find the Stitcher app on the page. And it's like, that's not what we use anymore. Now it's uh, with the WordPress, it's a different... Uh, it's a plug-in. It's a plug-in, and there you won't we even go. see its name. So you can find Burberry. It's like a, it's Burberry. A, it's a fruit without any vowels in it. Um, so I'm probably I, the only person who sees it when I post them. No, I see it. Do you see it? Yeah. Oh, but when you look at the page afterwards. I, yeah, yeah. I the page. yeah. So anyway, uh, you can find it there. Each and every podcast has episode has its own page uh, as well. If you hear some, about something on this podcast that you think you'd like to purchase, there is an, a Fanboy Planet podcast Amazon page uh, linkable. You can get to from every single uh, every single page on Fanboy Planet, as well as, of course, there are search boxes. And I say that saying. 
if you can't find it at your local comic store, your local brick and mortar, we believe in supporting small local businesses. But we are also a small local business, and Amazon gives us a tiny bit of money uh, kickback when you order through us. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast or the website and or the website, both. Why not all of it? You can we you can donate through PayPal at editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also write in comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, anything you want. We love getting feedback. And this week we've gotten feedback from, I think I got an Instagram note. I think I got a, a, a series of tweets. I got some commentary on Facebook. I'm including last week's and an email. So it's just... It's amazing all the different ways people can come at me. Uh, it makes me feel a little paranoid, but it's good. I invited it. Editor they were all friendly at people. You woman's just mad at Troy. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I think I've gone over everything there. I would also like to say, because it relates to our top story, uh, that if if uh, that you should, if you feel that you have money to donate to the Hero Initiative, uh, to which is the fund that helps with uh, medical and legal bills for c- comics creators and the families of comics creators kind of left behind as they try to sort through that sort of thing. So, all that being said, let's get into the podcast formal. And our top story does relate to the Hero Initiative because that was the first thing I thought of when this happened is Friday morning. Uh, it released on Darwin Cook's blog that he was in palliative care after a long battle with cancer uh, and that the family asked for him, for fans to respect his privacy, but you put on the blog, post, get well notes and so forth. And by Friday night, actually the news wasn't officially confirmed on the blog until Saturday morning, but by Friday night the word was out in the comics community uh, that Darwin Cook had actually passed away from cancer at the age of 52. Yeah, that sucks. It absolutely sucks. And, you know, certainly it's just uh, what an incredible power in the in the comics industry. So influential, too. It, well, and, and that's what I mean, is, is the influence that people may not even realize. He started as a storyboard artist for Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. He pitched a story to DC. DC didn't take it. Uh, and then a couple of years later came back and said, hey, once he'd gotten really popular doing Superman the Animated Series, I think he worked on Men in Black the Animated Series as well. Mm. Um, but it really, his style sort of leapt off Bruce Timm. But he said he learned everything from Jack Kirby and in a weird way like Steve Rude. Steve Rude, you can totally see the Kirby influence yeah. without it looking a thing like Kirby. And Darwin Cook is really kind of the same thing. It's that energy. It's that dynamic. And at the same time, it's kind strength. of a timeless nostalgia that he throws in there I thought too. It was, I was say, it's, it's, it's almost out of time and timeless. Yeah. That it, everything has – in a way like, like Mike Allred and that is who um, I ultimately got. It's just like third party like I – came home Friday night and I saw the news. I don't remember what I, what I was doing Friday and, but I saw the news like someone posting on Facebook, you know, rest in peace, Darwin. And so I, I put out to like every pro I knew, like what, you know, wh- where's the proof? So by, by third party, by Friday night, I'd gotten it confirmed by Mike Allred, who was close to Darwin cook that, uh, that this is, I, I kind of figured, uh, I just say Jimmy Palmiotti was, was already posting I'm like Jimmy and Darwin I knew they were really close so but I didn't dare ask him um you know so uh it just sucks yeah. you know that I, I totally respect like however that that fight fight with cancer was but there is always something strange about having to process 
And it's weird when it's somebody, well, I did meet him once, you know, but, but it, it's weird when it's like, it's just a talent you admire. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, with Bowie, you didn't have time right. or Prince. You didn't have time. And Darwin Cook, that's my threes for 2016. Mm-hmm. And I'm done. I don't want to lose yeah, anybody else who it. influences me. Um, that you don't have time to process that they're sick. Right. Before you find out they've the lost the yeah, fight. Yeah. And even when they're sick, you're kind of going, God, I hope they pull through. You yeah. Know, well, what and that's what, what I, I think it was Tom Galloway who said, like, remember that palliative care could mean that he's just trying to, you know, he just needs to recuperate his strength. Yeah. And, you know, that that there was hope for about 12 hours. Yeah. And then suddenly, yeah. no, not yeah. at all. No, I, I mean, when when his Batman show came, I mean, I was, I was probably... Well, I mean, that was Bruce Timm. Let's give it, he was a storyboard right, right. artist on that. I don't want to take away the credit from Paul Dini and Bruce Timm who made that, but Darwin Cook's art, and they all said, like, he was a natural for it, and he totally was a gifted storyteller. Batman Ego was the graphic novel, although yeah. originally it was a short, let's call it a graphic novella that he pitched... And it became like it was a huge splash. Best known probably within DC. Well, two things: he redesigned Catwoman. So anything you look at Catwoman now in that skin tight suit and looking more, you know, really actually more effective as a cat burglar than she did certainly in that big purple skirt and the whip. Uh, I guess she still has the whip, but the green mask and all that. Um, he redesigned that uh, with uh, Ed Brubaker asked him to do because he's very, obviously very att- attached to crime fiction um he did a graphic novel called selena's big score where she mm-hmm. didn't really appear as catwoman but it was a crime yeah crime story with selena kyle in the center of it in mainstream superheroes let's give it justice league new, the new frontier which yeah. just restored hope you know this was like it's purposely set in a time where the justice society it was all one earth well i'll say the same thing then about i was going to say about the batman show and, and justice yeah. league it's a big movie. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a cartoon. It is the the layout. Everything is so cinematic and and. I mean, we're talking about the miniseries first because there's, right. because there's two things, which is there was a very good adaptation, and that's when I got to talk to him was and I, I should find my suspicion for anybody who's looking or asking for this is my suspicion is that um, when I met him was back when I was off of how primitive a uh, tape recorder. Uh-huh. And I don't think I have the tape anymore. Uh-huh. But if I did have the stick, and if I can find in archives, like in old folders, uh, yeah, yeah. I might still have the audio of of talking to Darwin Cook. Oh, that'd be cool. He was so I'm not promising this is going on in this podcast or any podcast because I okay. don't know that I have it. But he did say we had a really good conversation, and it was the first time, only time I really met him, and. and he had a reputation for being very prickly and difficult to work with at that time. And you would not have that sense at all from the encomiums that have come out in the last you know, few days. Right. Nor should you have that sense because what he told me made perfect sense, and I, which was uh, – and every time that I've ignored that little red flag in my head, I've paid for it. You know, and he placed that red flag for me, and which was – I'm just coming at this to do the best work I possibly can. And and if you don't want to give me your best right. when I'm working with you, right. I don't hold it against you. I just don't want to work with you. Yeah. And so, you know, that's uh, – and, and he laughed as he said it. And, you know, it's just like – and so they all think I'm a jerk. <laughs> it's like, you know – 
And he's not because the result was he gave us. We, you know, we're tossing there talking about Justice League: The New Frontier, which was a, a brilliant, brilliant six issue miniseries. Right. Um, even later, and and the thing, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard. The, okay, I'll pass some of these things. Is that Alan Moore at that time was still getting comps from DC, even as he was mad at them. And somebody that he was still peaceful and with. comps, comps are complimentary a, a copies. Of, every month he was getting boxes of DC comics. Right. And Which a lot of their creators. And someone yeah. from Vertigo, God. I think, was visited him in England. And he said, I don't want them. And then stopped and said, except the new frontier. That's quite good. Please have them still send that. <laughs> and so uh, Gail Simone posted a thing about how Darwin Cook offered her. Oh, I can't remember which character it was. Uh, I think that it was like the Sophie's Choice. He came up and he said there was a, a drawing of like Black Canary. I, maybe that's not who it was. I, it's her anecdote to tell, but of a character that she loved that he'd drawn specifically for her. He said, you can have this or a page from The New Frontier, but you can't have both, and then laughed. <laughs> so, you know, he was a fun a fun guy and of course we were you were just talking about this a couple of weeks right. ago parker which uh right. i don't know i guess it's all of that have been published are gathered up in one fine volume called the oh, really? martini edition oh interesting uh so all f- i think he's adapted five of it's the four or five yeah uh, of the stark novels um and uh as i wrote on fanboy planet is when you i've seen one of the adaptations of the hunter uh-huh. for film which is you know it was originally point blank with lee marvin right it was payback with mel gibson and then it was finally parker with jason statham and i've seen uh i've seen payback with mel gibson and when i read the hunter it's like this was so much cooler so much truer yeah. but obviously because there's one man just interpreting instead of a whole bunch of different egos involved but it is such a cool adaptation that feels because of his art style it feels right for the character and the time it's yeah and even as it is almost cartoony because it does look like the bruce tim kind of batman the animated series loose loose end figure that's like not everything's closed off but it teaches you a lot about illustration yeah and i would advise anybody who wants now from a modern master i mean obviously in and you say dc knew that because last year they did a whole month of alternate covers that were darwin cook and uh, which, why don't they do uh, like a poster book or just a gathering of those? Because people would totally want them. I guess he did some work on All Star Western too, but uh, mm. so he did a couple of issues of those. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that. And you know, I would say the the thing is out of uh, before Watchmen, he was part of the Brain Trust doing that. And I don't use that term derisively. I mean, it really was. He was like one of the masterminds, and the ones that he worked on. Uh, most specifically the Midman were the only ones that I enjoyed. You know, the, the others I, I appreciated he the do, artistry. He did Minuteman and I think he worked with Amanda Connor on Silk Spectre. I thought that's the, I thought those. So I think he worked great. with her on that. And, and, and so those were the ones that felt again, strangely the, out of the somewhat nihilistic, uh, <laughs> mini, you know, series uh, of Watchmen that felt the most hopeful mm-hmm. that there was joy there was fun and even when he was dealing with very serious stuff there was a joy and an energy to his work so i you know his influence will be felt his loss will be felt greatly and uh, that's all there is to say we don't want to bring it 
bring people to down more to point to more to celebrate the if work you, that you haven't still read this out. guy's work you yeah. need to take a look at it because it's great stuff and i'll i'll back you up on the the, the whole parker uh art style is eye-opening if it's it's kind of a book where you could see somebody taking this to a to an editor a book editor and they'll say well we can just do this in black and white because it's all just single line stuff and, and a little toning and you know, but it's it's actually a very colorful book for one that's not really colored in in a right, standard right. comics way. Well, it's shades, it's tone, it's it's, it's, very, it's, it's very sixties illustration, very, very much so fifties and sixties style it's shag just, kind it, of. There we go, yeah. uh, shag. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it, it, like I said, it, it, I was very tempted this week to just start when I was putting links up. And I'm like, well, I, I have all these somewhere. Maybe I need to buy them again. Right. I don't have all of Parker, so I thought, yeah, yeah maybe Martini I need edition. to put the Martini Edition down. Um, you know, I need to get to it. I, I definitely do. Uh, but but I also I don't have. A They're clock. not small books, though. So no, that's, that thing's got to be. Pretty and if heavy. I've hated the, and if I've not, if I've resisted omnibuses because I'm afraid that I'm going to snap my arm off. Picking yeah. Up, uh, You're not going to walk around with this on one hand with your martini in the other. <laughs> it's 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 not going to happen. I, I don't really drink martinis. So, uh, but but if ever I were to, it would be while with reading mar- martini while, while reading Parker. Uh, so let's get to what had. What was also sort of a lower top story, just because I think it was funny, that I got this post. Again, this is through the Facebook. Um, Annabelle, I'm calling you out, Annabelle Malabago-Klein, who is a, an old, well, it's not called old, dear friend. She was my college uh, RA. Okay. And she takes photos for us at New York Comic Con. You finally cleared that mystery up for me. And you know how, how I, I didn't know how. Yeah. She's my RA in college, and... Uh, uh, her husband was a game show producer, so she gets a professional badge every year to Comic-Con. And about five yeah. years ago, she realized, oh, Derek's going too. So we re- rekindled friendship. And uh, cool. so she, she goes to New York Comic-Con. And uh, anyway, um, so she sent me this thing. She said, what do you think of this? And it's New York Comic-Con announced this morning that in order to get tickets for, I think it's an October show, um, you have to be f- – they need fan verification. So, thank God I've got my tattoo. Just looking at the at the like the basics, like you know, because I was on my way to work, uh, you know, I stopped in the parking lot and I looked and I saw saw this because it's a bad habit. Get out of the car, look at Facebook before I go right. to the office, and right. go, oh no, this is well, this is interesting. I'll have to check this out later. And then I said to you, we you should check this out because we'll talk about it tonight. And then I read it. I read deeper. And I think it's just poorly worded in an attempt to sound cool. Uh-huh. Because what it says is, you, you know, you have to be verified as a fan. And and the reason, by the way, for it is to keep people from being able to scalp the tickets. Good. Okay. And I, But I've been parsing this in, in my head, rolling it over and over, going, they were the ones that introduced the RFID. Right. And that cut down on forgeries. But then I thought, because my only experience with the RFID was the wristbands at Silicon Valley Comic Con, right. which was not necessarily the most effective, at least as it was implemented. They hadn't really trained their people how to right. use well, them. Right. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't as effective. And they didn't train the people who got them how to use them either. Wear this and, you know. Well, they could add some signs about this is the part you want to put on the sensor. Well, kind of like Zardoz. You really were supposed to just say all hail was, and then everything would have opened, and you would have gone in, and you'd been fine. But I... Was is a giant floating but, head. But I think that... <laughs> 
We want to be invited back, Rick. Uh, but no, I know. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, was does. I think that I think that in New York Comic Con it was a badge that had the RFID. So you could, I guess, still trade it back and forth. Sure. Um, this time, no. Or, or at least this is the intent is when I read deeper into the fan verification, it was exactly what Comic-Con has had in place for about three years, requiring that you register a Comic-Con ID first. Right. That you can't and, – and anybody can do this is you have to fill out a profile. But when I'm looking at the headline and even on their first page as to here are all the things, it did sort of read like – Okay, what are your bona fides? What right. do you know? <laughs> you know, are you a true fan? The thing that I dreamed of at D twenty three, which is you have to pass a Disney trivia test. Right, right, right. Uh, it's not hard. It's you know, it's not it's not Tom Galloway well, it's like, level. It's <laughs> when when I went to New York, but and, you have to know that there are two publishers, Marvel and DC, publishing Batman and Spider Man are from different companies. Now, when I went to New York, I, I wanted to get on the Letterman show, and so I months ahead of time called in and, and what, said, "What stupid human trick did you do?" No, no, I was it was it was a situation where I still hadn't heard them, heard back from them. We're we're literally walking the streets of New York the first day there, and I get a call on my phone. And they said we'd like you, we'd like to entertain your potentially being on uh, uh, in the audience. Yeah. And they asked me like, who is so and so? And I had to say who they the the people who were on the yeah. show to prove that I had watched the show to get in. And so that was that was kind of nice. I kind of liked that that it wasn't just like oh I I'm, I never watched the show, but since I'm in New York, I'll watch I'll go to the Letterman show. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so I mean that's what it, it, it turned out to be. I, I think though the the upshot is anything with New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, anything that makes sure that look if you if you just want to go to see what it's all about, I don't think that's a bad thing. But what I object to is let's say Comic Con's up to a hundred and eighty dollars. Is that what it was for? See, and this is where I don't yeah, know, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be arrogant to any listener here, but because I go in on a press badge, I've never gone through the process of actually buying a ticket to Comic Con of trying to. It buy sounds it. about right. I've done it once where I bought a ticket, and uh, of course, it changes since then. But that's, but that's in the ballpark. If you, if you get in there, you have to have the IDs of everybody that's in your group. Like right. You could, right. You can you buy four to, tickets, but they have to be a valid you have to be ID. able to say who they are. Right. Um, so you know, and and I think that's a good idea because I don't like the idea of it's expensive enough. You go into these conventions. Oh yeah. Uh, somebody paying up upwards of five hundred bucks. That's uh, getting in is the cheap part. It's like getting there and having a place Sadly, to sleep. This is true. Is the expensive part and the hard part as we're both facing. <laughs> yes, if you'd like to set up a tent, a floating tent city out in the harbor, uh, we, we're willing to entertain this if idea. you've got a reasonably sized closet you'd like to put up on Airbnb. No, don't say that because we already know what happened with Airbnb when you tried that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com the boy under and the maybe stairs. we'll tell you. Uh, we're rapidly becoming like the people under the stairs. But speaking of conventions, in, in, in a week and a half, at, we're recording on Tuesday night, we're going to be uh, at Baycon, a local, uh, a smaller local convention, where I think we have rooms. Uh, no, I, I know I do. I assume you do. I do, yes. Uh, 
but because it's the Escher Hotel, we may never find them. Uh, but uh, hey, of course we will. It's not that difficult, really. But just not. if you're if you're walking down the hallway and they start playing Hotel California, you God know. help me if I try to take a walk in the like you know just a morning constitutional and then it's a silly hotel. And the reason why it's called the Escher is that you can start out on the on the second floor and walk clockwise around the hotel and end up on the 13th floor without going up any stairs. But then you can take stairs down. I think from there, the stairs go down to the 10th, to, to the first floor, I think. You can't go down to the second and then floor. One, and then another staircase goes to the Winchester Mystery House. Yes. So it's yes. just kind of, it, it is odd. Orange but, portal. <laughs> it's just it's odd. blue on the other side. Uh, but anyway, the reason we bring up Baycon, uh, there's plenty of exciting things happening there, is uh, that tonight we were, why we're, why we're dressed so fancily. Let's describe it. I mean... I didn't know that they still made bedazzlers, Rick, but it impressed me. Uh, you know, we were dressed for work, basically, and or I was. And we were going to meet downtown and interview uh, and Andy Tremblay and Kevin Roche, who are the, what would you call it, the, the, the chairpersons? The chairpeople for the San Jose in 2018 bid for yes. Worldcon. So we were going to do this, but unfortunately, uh, Kevin Kevin fell ill. He's feeling much better, but he didn't want to go out tonight. Totally reasonable. But that, uh, so we still want to talk about why we were going to talk to them, which was because, as I said, that we were the chairpersons of the San Jose in 2018. The idea to have the World Science Fiction Convention, which is where the Hugos, we've talked about the Hugos a few okay. times, uh, and we've had Kevin and Andy on the podcast once before, yep. uh, that uh, we would like to have WorldCon at. Uh, in San Jose in 2018. We were going to take advantage tonight of some of the fabulous downtown San Jose nightlife, uh, which does exist. I think, where, where did we say we were going to go? Club? We were going to go, either we are going to go to uh, 55 or Paper Plane. And then there was also... We had uh, talked about Cafe Stretch. We were going to talk about the Continental. Gordon Biesch. Gordon Biersch. Oh, that's it. Good Lord. Do you, I don't know if you're playing me or not. Um, like but a there fiddle. Are, oh, great. I thought I had a vodka producer. It turns out I got an Ozark Mountain stomper. All right. So, anyway, the, where did that long beard come from? That is very weird. Two Pappy days Yoakum, growth, man. Pappy Two Yoakum, days right growth. Here. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, so, so so they're 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 really pushing San Jose, and it's a wonderful time to be in San Jose because, as you said, the downtown life is really incredible the number of places there are to go and have fabulous food artisanal uh cocktails um you know i would bet that if we landed um we could probably make a you know make a gaze they could probably even have a really incredible party at the glass house oh yeah yeah i think we know people i think we could make that happen you know people i do i just hang on i could make that happen yeah um plus it's a great you know it just is as as the Waz was proving, is like San Jose is a hotbed of fans, yeah. you know, of sci-fi and fantasy fans, and so it's uh, we filled downtown San Jose for Silicon Valley Comic Con. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, there was, absolutely. There was so no place a, left to park. A, a there were no con- open beds. Well, they make it full. sound, you know, make it sound uh, uh, enticing. They, they, I think they are, and they're building more. The thing is, by the time you get to 2018, because not only that, if you go to the convention center. Uh, there's all that great stuff on, uh, there's all these great restaurants and bars that exist now. We didn't even mention like San Pedro Square. Uh, there's some fantastic places there. But as I work over there, 
there are like two more developments going up behind mm-hmm. San Pedro Square mm-hmm. where there's going to be even more by the time you get to 2018. There's just going to be some amazing stuff. Plus AFK. I still haven't gone there. Oh, you haven't gone there? We really should oh, po- yeah. try podcasting there once. The AFK, the Gamers Lounge uh, in downtown Full San Jose. Full bar and restaurant and a downst- uh, the, the downstairs, the, the cellar. Has row upon row of PCs. That are so the thing is, and this is publicity, and if you're listening to us uh, around the time of Baycon to think about the actual voting happens in a, like a week-long period around Worldcon, uh, which is Mid-America Con. Mid-America Con. In Kansas City this August. Right. And so if you have a full membership or a supporting membership, you'll be able to vote on site selection and vote for San Jose over that other little place where it's humid and hot and yuck and they have good food but that's about it talking the, the south pole no it's in uh, new orleans that's the competing bid oh well we'd be above sea level for now no no, no i'm pretty sure uh, <laughs> we're still gonna be higher <laughs> than new orleans um okay uh so there's that uh yes. we have jazz too that's cafe stretch man oh we've got We've got more at Jazz than just Cafe Stritch. And then we've got, uh, you know, you mentioned, we mentioned how the downtown area had filled up. But there is light rail in San Jose that lets off right in front of the convention center. And you can mm-hmm. take it all the way down First Street, services a number of hotels, much better than, um, much better and faster than what they have in front of the uh, San Diego Convention Center. And that's Likely true. Yeah. Yes, uh, I would say. There's another place that I, uh, you know, downtown that I, I, I've, I think I failed to tout as well as I should have, and I don't know if you've been there. Little, it's not a, it's not a whole, it's a beautiful place. My milkshake. Oh yeah, I've been there. With, uh, su- I think they just did it for uh, SuperCon or Big Wild Comic Fest last year, but uh, that's when I stumbled across it. I appreciated the effort. Uh, was that they did superhero themed milkshakes? Oh, nice, nice. And uh, so you know, it's a small. Uh, it's not a like like Psycho Donuts is a local chain. Yeah. Uh, so it's no really good stuff. Really good stuff. And it's right next to the Euro Place. What's that thing called? Um, there's a Mediterranean. Uh, uh, the Pita Pit. Pita Pit. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 I think they have Euro. I think they might have Euros. They have there. Euros there. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, we think it's a, a swell idea. We're going to try to have Kevin and Andy on uh, sometime in June. Uh, I, I'm certain that uh, Kevin and Kevin will be feeling better. Oh yeah, by that point. But uh, I'm sure he's feeling better tonight. They're always but, fun to have on. But they are so. And they're big fans too. Plus, I I, I do just want the excuse to sit down and have a cocktail with those guys is always yeah. fun. I, I, I Andy is like a, is my sommelier. What's the word? He's not my bartender, but he always has a fantastic recommendation. If I walk up to Andy and he says, "This is what you want," he's he's a he's, he's a mixologist. Right. He's always right. It's not well, but it, sometimes it's a wine. You so have to understand. Say, sommelier. Kevin is an award winning robotics engineer. I and do understand. Has that. has built a robot thinbot thin thinbot that actually mixes eight or twelve different drinks on command. And we've been at conventions. It'll probably it'll I have been served by Thinbot, yes, and, uh, and I believe he will be. Debbie is actually my wife. Debbie is actually uh, certified in running Thinbot. She, she's gone through the classes. They went through a certification. She, did, she was. I love it. They allowed her after training to uh, to continue to uh, to operate Thinbot through the uh, 
to the I, parties. I love it. So yep. let's uh, let's move to comics, though. We, we'll be. T- I think I don't know what your panels are at Baycom, but we can talk a little bit. Is that I know that I'm on a game show that scares the heck out of me. Yeah, you're uh, on the late night adult. The, the, yeah, so one. I usually stay away from this, but this time I when I signed up, I just said. Um, Whatever, whatever you want yeah. and uh, and I'm pretty sure Steve Mix had something to do with this because Steve Mix is he on it too I don't know if I'll he be is, in the audience but Steve Mix keeps t- keeps telling people no Derek's really funny he should be on these things uh-huh. so uh, I'll be there yeah. if Derek's on something so I mean not on something you know what I'm saying yeah. uh, so this time I, I embrace it it's the improv roots uh, I'm also on a panel about Batman about the DC Cinematic Universe yeah uh, and then I'm going to basically interview Tom Galloway, and he did say I could record it for the podcast of basically the panel of talking about somebody other than you and I talking about comics that people should read. And, right. And, you know, I know he keeps up to date. I've challenged him a couple times online and regretted it. I've walked away with my tail between my legs. And, uh, you know, to, to um, you know, of course, you can't stop me from talking, but, you know. Lord knows. To recommend – you could you could just cut it all out here but then there'd be no podcast and then you'd be staring sitting in the dark and so my I, my panels are i'm i'm on a panel about uh setting up and using wordpress for your websites mm-hmm. i'm on a costuming panel partially because i've done uh things that are kind of under the costume not the necessarily irons ladies not necessarily costume design but it's about where do you store your stuff when you're in costume and then I'm in a – the last one I'm in is kind of an interesting one. It's about fractured fandom, and it's about – it's it's taking on the different parts of fandom and why we don't always get along, which I think is going to be interesting. I think the last couple of weeks of the podcast have been talking a little bit about that, but um, almost like a side issue to it. But, yes, that is interesting. Um, but, no, I mean – I do think we've been sort of dancing around that, and we're going to dance around a little bit tonight again, too. Yeah. Um, because this is a re- – this entire country is fractured and can't get along. So, you know, why should fandom be any different? Well, no, fandom should be able to be different because it's we're all just trying to have fun. I know. I was being sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is – But, no, it's a very real thing. That- I, and it has been building for years. Yeah. And I'd say – I mean, there's a larger thing – culturally but i will likely attend that panel uh and and see what we can say there um but one thing fracturing fandom today <laughs> is that great transition this morning <laughs> dc entertainment uh released a new logo which you can see on fanboyplanet.com if you haven't seen it already because why should apple have all the fun no that wasn't uh, even apple instagram, instagram. Why should uh, instagram see? oh another bullet to my head thanks no, rick no it's it's all apple's fault because they hire they That's uh, what you said, johnny, johnny ive, ive yeah. uh, redo his fashion i refuse to call it design but in the on the other hand, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, fandroids of, of all genders, we're, we're venturing into territory that I know I see, like Rick was looking tired and now his eyes are twinkling because <laughs> we're like, we're in a weird font slash design conversation. These don't happen very often, yeah. but they came up with it, which was, I thought was a kind of a throwback to the DC bullet and which was one of my favorite logos. I mean... I've gotten used to every one of them except for the Band-Aid 
and we were which was the, the, one, the just most the recent most one, recent one, which is still there until next week's comics. DC Universe Rebirth number one is, and again, the funny thing, you get this press release that says very specifically, Jeff Johns is so honored that it's going to be his book. That's going to be the, Here's the relaunch of the new logo, uh, the launch of the new logo, and the relaunch of the DC Universe. And they say yes, and then it's going to show up on the app and our social media sites. And then it's going to go out through the, because I saw people asking like, well, is it, you know, is, you know, are they going to change it on the show and the TV and movies? And it says, yeah, eventually it's going to roll out to everything. All the branding, all the DC And as I was telling you earlier, literally, this is not an exaggeration. Two minutes after I finished posting the picture and a little bit of write up to it, I look on my phone, there's an update of the DC all access app. And it's got the new logo. They've just made this big the deal. Icon, about the icon Johnson's, for the app was the is, new logo. Was the new logo. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, and I get it because the thing is anybody criticizing DC Comics for this is wrong. Right. Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and Jim Lee and whoever else, they were not sitting around going, what this needs <laughs> is a new logo. Now, I like it because it plays into, they might have been told, you know, maybe we need to rebrand. We're going to do the, right. you know. Well, what I like about it is if you're going to do rebirth and you're saying there's that we've had, we've kind of gotten away from what made these comics yes. fun by doing a logo that kind of encompasses two or three different logos from the seventies and eighties. And it feels like I think I put on, on, on my Facebook page, like now if only it said still only 20 cents on the <laughs> other side, I would love that because that was the, that was the logo when oh, yeah. I first yeah. really started. Yeah. Uh, buying comics and but to describe it the the logo is basically a circle with the letters d and c inside of it and the way they showed it is on a white background with the blue but i'm sure that 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 color is a variant color because it's the kind of thing you do with a logo is you make sure that you don't have that you can do it in black and white that you can impress it well especially in mobile mobile yeah. design thought everything's going to black and white and or flat yeah but the the my only complaint and it's not really a complaint is that the the stroke used in the font has a lot of divots and odd curvatures are you still with us people and because rick is really getting rolling now yeah it's it's but but You'll see, when you see it, you'll see there's almost like an a edge of a lightning bolt in the upper left hand corner of both of the characters. Well, I read something a couple of years ago that explained why they went to the band, what I would call the band aid, yeah. the label, the sticker. I think most of it, I, I, I'm seeing people call it the the sticker logo too, right? Um, and the I don't peel know, off. I don't know what kind, is it Dolce Gabbana. There's a DG or there's another DC company that got ah. the letter. They kind of they became that iconic block letters, uh-huh. and so Warner rightfully because they hadn't quite trademarked it right, or 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 right. I shouldn't say that they had probably hadn't done right. international international trademark. You know that they had to change it somehow. So that's yeah. why we kind of went to that star. Wait, you know, that star was with a tail behind it that was around the DC and it became uh-huh. a little more and then somebody didn't like that. Now, the thing I liked about the sticker, and because I'll give the one thing to it for me, and you're right, there are ways for this to still happen, yeah. is that I liked, you couldn't do, they still sort of do that, like flipping of pages, but Marvel started that before a, before a movie oh, where you go into the Marvel yeah, logo sure. and you know flip and, through all the images. And, and so um, I think the Dark Knight movies, the uh, Christopher Nolan ones had like, you know, 
the the pages flip. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have that that sticker underneath that D is the revealed a character shot from a comic book to remind people that's what this comes from and ties it into DC. Like one of the reasons realizing that Marvel uh, agents of shield had to be Marvel's agents of shield. And we mocked legends of tomorrow for saying DC's legends tomorrow, but I realized, no, they did have to do that. And Marvel was doing it too. Partially because internationally Marvel had set the precedent because you can't call, the Avengers, the Avengers in right. Europe without them thinking it's Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg. Exactly. So it's Marvel's Avengers. Actually, the first movie is Marvel's Avengers Assemble in uh, in England. So, But the Marvel had to be there. So the DC had to be on the other side because I know you still run into people that don't know there are two companies. They think Marvel publishes everything because Stan Lee is everywhere. By the way, short aside, you know what just showed up on um, Comic-Con HQ? Well, it can't be man thing. We already talked about that. No, the British Avengers. Very interesting. I yeah. haven't checked in this week. Um, I've yeah. just been busy the last couple. Of I days. was going through checking out some of my more favorite uh, Avengers episodes. I was just thinking tonight that I was I wanted to go in and watch their. I would assume the second they're episode. Clean. Of, they're super but, clean. Uh, not that I, that I wanted to watch the the second episode of the movie talk show and uh-huh. see how and see how that went uh, was going. I spent Sunday night rewatching Con Man and enjoying the hell out of that. Uh, so, but not on Comic Con HQ because I bought the Blu-ray. So uh-huh. I was like, and I got to rewatch it again because Alan Tudyk does a commentary, and I didn't listen watch it with commentary. So I need to do that now. But anyway, uh, so that's kind of our comics news for the week. Uh, it's it's changing things. I'm still looking forward to Rebirth. I like that throwback. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff tomorrow. Yeah, we'll get a bunch of yeah comics tomorrow, but they won't be Rebirth. No, we get. Uh Jeez, what was there? Something I'm really looking forward to that comes out tomorrow. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh no, no the. Uh, um, the Scooby Apocalypse and uh, Future Quest and oh, they all, all on the eighteenth. All come out tomorrow. Let's see what. Oh no, pardon me. No, no, no. Uh, something comes out on the eighteenth of this group. I'm sure they're they're going to dribble them out to us. Tomorrow is Future Quest. Well, then that would be the one book we wanted most yeah. of all. So yeah. tomorrow is Future Quest. All right. Well, I hope that's that's there. Uh, although you know, of course, the book we're all looking forward to the most is Marvel Sum Sums. Okay, I'm gonna. You can go ahead and talk about this. I'm gonna go get something stiffer to drink from this coffee. <laughs> no, the thing that drives me uh, that I love about that is how they said it's. It's not coming out till August, people, but that it's in continuity. I'm like, how are you? What are you? And then I saw they're doing releases of these things every other week. Yeah, August. Maybe I can. Not the comics. I'm talking the actual sum sums are coming out every other week. Really, they're huge. They're big in Japan, but they're uh, yeah. really catching on here. And there will be, I think I've got 18 alternate covers, uh, variant covers on uh, Fanboy Planet that Marvel sent out. I was lucky enough not to be a parent when the Beanie Babies were hot, and then we didn't have anything like this until now. And Well, you were a parent. He, Justin just wasn't interested, right? Not in the Beanie Babies. Not in uh, Beanie Babies before Justin was born. That was like the 80s, wasn't it? No. 90s? It was the late 90s. My da- We bought them for my daughter. Oh. Uh. So maybe he was just wasn't old enough. He, hmm. <laughs> they were stuffed animals. He was old enough. You were just lucky. He wasn't interested. Oh, man, because it's crazy. Somebody point. It's not the some some. Uh, somebody said to me it was the Beanie Babies. Oh no, it's the pop vinyls or the Beanie Babies of oh, that's of, true. of the two, of two thousand. Oh lord, those are because people are crazy. You know. Oh yeah. It's, it's, no. Did I, you see the the video of the new um, what is it? Uh, 
in New York. It's a big uh, nerd shop. Uh, uh, Not Jim Hanley's Another Universe? No. Uh, Midtown Comics? No, it was... Uh, Toys R Us? No. FAO Schwartz? Damn. I think it's it's one of those online stores. Was it Entertainment Earth? Do they have a... Just a second. Yeah. Yeah. I'm covering masterfully. Somehow, I got coffee grounds in my... Uh, okay. No, I did not. Well, that's interesting. It doesn't want to scroll any further back than Saturday. another one of those arbitrary facebook things where it says oh no you don't get to scroll any further back in your history past this thing there we go now we're going Because I said I need to go back to New York now. I remember you saying that. And I can't remember what store it was. It's it's half of it's a GameStop. And the other half is... Um, There we go. Geek.com. Oh, Think Geek. Think Geek. So it's a Think Geek store right, in right. New York City. It's 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 got the lower part of a building that has a um, GameStop in it. But it's just amazing because it's, it's a bunch of sections. So you can go and they have all the vinyl figures in one area. And then they have all the stuff from Game of Thrones, all the stuff from DC Comics, yeah, all no, the stuff no, from Marvel Comics. It's just it's astounding. I got a, this just in, literally as of seven thirty in the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, the fallout from Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. We were moving to movies anyway. Right. Continues to ripple through Warner Brothers. Uh, they have created a dedicated division for films. Current executive VP John Berg and Jeff Johns will co-run DC Films. According to multiple sources, which is what I've been saying for a long time, people are accusing Jeff Johns of 
not exerting enough control. Right. He didn't have the control, and everybody he thought he did because he had the tight. Yeah, he didn't have the position. And this now, uh, they'll be charged with managing genre streams while reporting to Warner Brothers president Greg Silverman. Um, and so this one person will be in charge of all the Lego movie and the Harry Potter line, uh, which, by the way, they, you know, Warner Brothers has trademarked with J.K. Rowling. There is now a J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World trademark that Warner Brothers co-owns. Um, and then there are people focus on comedies. But there we go. Berg and Johns are... They've already worked on BBS, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, and Berg is the conduit to Ben Affleck, who and because he worked with the actor on Argo and Live Speaker by Night. Speaker to Affleck, yes, Speaker to the Affleck, and Johns. Meanwhile, mastermind of the Ascension of shows such as Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl, and is yeah. the writer behind DC's upcoming Rebirth. We know this is what I'm saying. Hollywood Reporter is saying he is not leaving DC, but adding film to his portfolio. Uh, and so with these two, Warner Brothers is attempting to unify the disparate elements of the DC movies with a seasoned film exec and a comics veteran that together can hopefully emulate the way Marvel Studios has produced its films under the vision of President Kevin Feige. But sources also say Warner still wants to remain filmmaker-driven as part of their new job as Berg and Johns will become producers on the Justice League movies. Uh, so there's a muted reception. They're saying... Uh, the door was open for director Zack Snyder to be involved in shaping the look and content of the entire DC line, even though everyone was saying, don't do that. That's my little commentary. Uh-huh. But critics and fans ripped the first pick, and especially Snyder, for perceived missteps, including its hero's unheroic behavior and the dark tone. So BVS, which cost at least $300 million to make, has grossed under $870 million worldwide since its March 25th release. In stark contrast, Marvel Studios' Captain America is heading towards $1 billion in less than two weeks of release. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yes, gee, all the things we've been saying all along. Uh, let's see if there's anything else here. That's so, it. so do we have a sense then of what kind of creative isolation they are in from otherwise well-meaning executives who might give them notes? They're reporting just to Diane Nelson. Uh, that's what it seems like. We They're the top executives. Okay. They're the ones giving notes. So, uh well, it says here, like, the reason Seth Graham Smith left was because uh, the studio didn't feel confident in a first-time Helmer, to which you'd say, hi, everybody said that on day one of that announcement. It's right. like, you know, right. so what this really says is Warner Brothers looked around and said, oh, maybe we should listen to what people have been saying. Um, but it does lead to uh, this other thing we can say is that it was already sort of leaked, announced uh, this week. That they are giving, they are planning a Harley Quinn spinoff film, which is more like uh, it's rumored will be a Bird of Prey. Uh, Birds of Prey. That yeah. you'll have Batgirl and possibly Black Canary. Uh, and that Margot Robbie was the one that she, when she got the part, she just read every single Harley Quinn book she could get her hands mm-hmm. on. Became a fan of the character and said, well, we just try this. So they're actually. And from what we've seen, she's got a great take on the character. And as I said, for those who think, uh, you know... Well, it's, it's not not necessarily derivative take either. No, it's and that's hers. what I mean. It's her take. And that's, I think, it was important because she, if she had done Arlene Sorkin's voice... Exactly. That was, that's she, exactly was what I was no thinking about. was a no-win situation. Yeah. We've, and I've said that on the podcast before. It was a no-win situation for her if she had tried to do an imitation. So she created her own version of Harley Quinn, which every other Batman actor has had the right to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not? So it's, uh, that'll be interesting. Um, 
our big news of the week, of course, is that one thing that we've been talking about for weeks Doc. is happening. The Rock. I love this. You know, Savage. to say like you cannot, if you want to keep a project secret, <laughs> don't tell the actors. You don't tell The Rock of all people. Because remember, you know how we knew that Bin Laden had been killed. Some one a Navy SEAL told The Rock, and The Rock, and I'm not kidding, The Rock tweeted it out, just got word we killed Bin Laden, I've never been prouder of our boys, before the government officially announced right. <laughs> that Bin Laden had been killed. So uh, he, said, he Instagrammed out that he was just sitting around working on a script for a project with Shane Black in 2017, and of course... Everybody who's known that Shane Black said, I really want to get Dwayne Johnson and Doc Savage as my next movie. Right. Well, what else is it going to be? So now, still no official <laughs> word from the studio. Right. We're still putting, we're drawing a little bit of a connecting line here. But, but not much. But the dots are numbered pretty well. Yeah, they are. This is very tiny. Like, the dots actually form the picture. The lines are just an afterthought at this point. <laughs> well, if you really want to get... If you want to make it a cleaner right, drawing. Right, right. It's a pointillism. Uh, so, anyway, Doc Savage is uh, going to be worked on in 2017. I'd say likely for a 2018 release. Still no word on what the content of the script is. Uh, but, but it, again, we've heard that Black has an admiration for the original time period you know it is i realize that this you know every podcast is like jim shooter's old rule every podcast is is someone's first podcast for fanboy planet so and and sometimes i go man we've already talked about this but maybe you haven't heard that is that yes he's into the pulp and he's not going to try to update he's not going to try anything like that so the question i throw out to you uh is to rick not to just i mean you you listeners can can speak up in too um, oh, I hear them now. No, that's your wife. Or, or is it? Yes, it is. Okay, maybe it was Justin. Uh, <laughs> behind me, I hadn't looked. Uh, that uh, we know who Doc Savage is. Yes. So just, you know, spitball a couple of Amazing Five. Oh, Amazing Five. Okay, so again, we've got, we've got two fairly tall skinny guys one of them's kind of ragged with glasses and the other one well see now that you said is i would agree it's like i was thinking about this long tom and johnny right their descriptions seemed similar to me when i was first reading them right and there was we've you've made long tom taller in your head he's not that i wasn't actually going for i was going for um ham and, and oh, Johnny. I don't even think of Ham as that tall. He's no, just taller than he's Monk. He's taller than Monk. He's not as tall as Doc. But they're they're tall, and then there's Giant because they're well. Giant is Rennie. Rennie's taller than Doc. You know, Rennie's yeah. all a Hulk. He's all fists, right? But I was just saying, you've got the juxtaposition there that they never play off of. Really, that that Ham is so dapper, and Rennie is you know, he's right off the you know. He's all out of the field with his, his yeah. bad eye, and you know he's not. No, Johnny has the Johnny. Johnny has bad, bad eye, right? Um, so I mean, the casting, of course, the casting of Doc Ham and Monk are the most interesting ones because those are the ones with, that show up the most in all the stories. Those are the ones people are most familiar. Yeah, but with. I don't think it's going to go that way. I think if you're going to cast the Amazing Five, you're going to you're going to try to. Do, oh, I know you, uh, you do all five ensemble of them because I don't know how long this will last as, right. a, as a franchise. I would just like to see. Well, let's get one out successfully. Okay. Let's see if you can get three. Let's see if you can get a Doc Savage trilogy. 
Yeah, because studios love trilogy. Do you have a Do you have anybody in mind for? Uh, yes, I'd say my long tom choice is actually. Well, I was thinking about this because you put the rock at about forty. Yeah. In, in in real life. Yeah. Um, that the other thing I was thinking, I don't know if anybody outside of Philip Jose Farmer made officially claimed Doc Savage was younger than all the others, but he did. Escape from Loki. Doc, oh yeah, yeah. Doc lied about his age. But that's in Escape from Loki, and that was in Doc Savage's Apocalyptic Life, and we know that. And it's you know, also in Will I'm, Murray's books. In, but they're but they're but Will Murray's books are going off of a off farmer, of, and a so. farmer. But so what I'm saying is Kenneth Robeson's original or Lester Dent's original thing. I don't think he specified the age, but if we're going to go off of that idea that right. Doc is the youngest, that places everybody as being older than forty. Hmm. So Long Tom. I'm going to say right now, and I'm going to try to find pictures. And actually, what we generate tonight, I may put up on 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 the the page on the okay. website. Long Tom has to be DJ Qualls. I don't know that character, that actor. DJ Qualls. Uh, trying to think of the movie I first saw him in. He's impossibly thin. He actually is. So you know, this is public knowledge, so it's not like a weird. Uh, he was in the new guy. Um, was a teen sex comedy with uh, with Faith um, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And um, he uh, survived chemotherapy. He survived cancer. So it has left him impossibly thin. And he looks kind of emaciated. And he's, been, he's, he's a very funny actor. He's got great timing. But he just... You know, it, it, he looks like he survived a bad, a bad illness because he did. And that's the thing about Long Tom is that everybody always the, the description that sticks with him is about him is that he's underfed and uh, yeah, kind of sickly and sickly looking. He's not usually he's not ever described as being dapper or no. He's, he's kind the of, and he's the electrical Long Tom the electrical wizard Major right. Thomas J Roberts, uh, who was played by the unsickly looking Paul Gleason in the original 1975 or the previous 1975 film. Uh, Paul Gleason, of course, uh, is the principal in uh, The Breakfast Club, or the dean in The Breakfast Club. Um, so he, I, I, I've thought out. Rennie, and I, here's an odd thought, and I don't think he's really tall enough, but I don't know you have an actor good enough. One thought was Dolph Lundgren, but he's almost too old. So, And he's got too much of an accent. Even No, he doesn't. No. I've interviewed him. Uh, I've talked okay. to him. He puts the accent on for for movies. It's gone. Okay. The conversation I I had with him five years ago it was it was undetectable. Okay. Um, although for some strange reason, I would also say that Rennie in my head is Swedish for no other reason than for some reason I thought that the actor who played him in 1975, William Lucking, was Swedish, and I don't and I don't think he was. And I think, like, in my head, I confused him with the guy who played Lars in Journey to the Center of the Earth with Pat Boone, like, years before. And, and you know, Lars and Gertrude. And and that's, like, every time I saw pictures of William Lucking, for some reason, that voice came out. Okay. So, but I, 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 think, he's, I think he's too old. The person that I actually think would be, because we saw him last night, is Russell Crowe. If he would take it, would be a, fa- would be a fascinating Rennie. I was actually thinking. Okay, so here are my two because I was going. I was going for um, a re- really odd couple for Ham and Monk. Mm-hmm. 
And I was going to say, let's do Russell Crowe as Monk. I thought about that too, except he looked so monkish. He looks so yeah. I don't think it looks healthy. Right, uh, right. Quite honestly, but I just think it's he wasn't playing a healthy character. character. I know, but I'd like to. But so anyway, hear me out. I on, thought about it. Hear I me put out him on, in Rennie because I thought it's it's a more interesting yeah. casting change. And I wouldn't until I had seen Although him. With CG, by the way, he could play both. Until I had seen him in a couple of the Mar, in his roles in a couple of the Marvel movies. I didn't really appreciate how this guy can play against the type that we're really familiar for. For for Ham, I'd go with Zachary Levi. Oh, no, Zachary. Uh, 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 yes. My only fear with Zachary Le- Levi is he would insist on doing it with a British accent. Yeah, and that's not right. But a lot of people make that mistake. You know, right, I do, right. I do think, cause, uh, although, actually, no. Here, here's the thing I would say is Ham should have that Catherine Hepburn mid-atlantic sure exactly accent right so yes Zachary levi would probably enjoy that i that's a good choice although with his height yeah and i have have met him he's ridiculously tall um he could make a great johnny but i think it's not a big enough role ham no matter what i say with the amazing five you're right, right monk and ham are the ones that stick out in people's minds partially in the novels but also even in the comics it's like they're the ones that because they're the most fun to write because they have the best persona- personalities, the most vibrant personalities out of all of them. Rennie's, Rennie's thing is that he's the taciturn yeah. engineer who... I'm having trouble placing somebody for him. I mean... Well, that's what I'd say. Maybe yeah. Russell Crowe. But it, because there, I think there are other people who could play Monk. Monk. There are a big actors. You could get a, a, a wrestler. <laughs> Gerard... Who? Depar- Gerard Depardieu. Dep- Depardieu. He's way too old. Yeah. Um, but someone because the other thing is, Monk is they say is as wide as he is tall. So you need somebody who really right, looks right. like a gorilla. I think you maybe have to tap a wrestler. I, I, I and I don't know wrestling enough. I wish yeah. that Chris Garcia might or you know somebody that's who comes off the top of my head. Nate might know who unfortunately yeah. couldn't join us tonight. But but Nate might know of a wrestler. Because the other thing is, it's becoming very clear <laughs> that um, you know wrestling is like football, becoming more and more the talk of the danger of it. And the WWE is there's a weird thing coming with all their press releases. They're like signing contracts with regular actors for action films, and they, and the the disclaimer at the bottom of their publicity emails are basically acknowledging that they may not be in wrestling forever. WWE production, productions may transition out of wrestling. Okay. So it's just kind of an interesting... So, I, you know, like I said, I don't know who's young... Well, not young, but who's in their 40s or 50s. Like, once upon a time, if he were still alive, Rowdy Roddy Piper might have made a great monk. Yeah. 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 I can see that. But I think you, the problem is... Even to fit with the description, like I didn't, I never. I liked, can't see him doing the voice. I can't. And, I never and, liked the monk in the seventy-five one because I thought he was just fat, and yeah. I never thought that that. No, was but monk. the voice has got to be a little high pitched, and it's got to be like a, a little it's squealy. Like a Mike, it's like a Mike Tyson. Voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, Johnny, though I suspect too old, is for years thought Jeff Goldblum is the only person who could be. I was trying to think of of where where Goldblum might fit in there too. Um, he's tall, he's thin, and he would uh, 
and, and not Ill, illy so, and just the way he would talk. You put those $12 words in Jeff Goldblum's rhythm, it would be hilarious. Oh, yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll super, be super amalgamated. amalgamated. Uh, and I will be elucidating uh, later uh, at, this, uh, at this juncture. <laughs> it would be just nice. a fascinating... Right. Let him go off mumbling to himself as he walks because out of the room. You kind of think Johnny might. Yeah. You know, he would get get lost in that. But I, I do. I, I fear he might be too old. But uh, but those are the possibilities. Although you know, now that I say that, uh, an actor, a comedian who might make a good monk is that uh, the guy because Jeff Goldblum played one of the fathers on the league. Uh, Steve Randonazzi um, was a, co- a comedian and was part of the. Uh, I think he was part of ja- not Jackass. He was part of Punked. Um, and so he's one of the leads on, uh, on the league and he is kind of, they've made the thing about how he's like a, like he's a gorilla Yeah, and he's not really that big, but he's sort of, he just can carry himself that way. So I'm blanking on his name, but who, uh, played Dax in guardians of the galaxy? Drax. Drax. Uh, Batista. You're Batista. Right. No, Batista would be, Oh my God. There it is. Batista would. Batista kill. playing off Zachary Levi. Done. Shane Black, call us. We've got everything handled for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I I would have to say, again, maybe out there there's another wrestler who has that. The question is, well, he could play the high-pitched voice. And he could do the dialogue. I don't think, you know, there's the thing is, I, I, I really like Batista. He's got to do rapid patter. And that's and that's yeah. And that's my concern is I don't I don't know that you have to work with the speech coach. I don't know that his skills are yet there, yeah. um, and that's not a cut because I thought he, he oh he's great Zach. you know as, he, as, Drax. as Drax he's been as uh, you know he, he was great as Hinks in uh, oh yeah and uh, Inspector uh, in, in yeah but both those roles were very sort of like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the in the Terminator yeah they were perfect for where he could go though right. i think and it's not to sell him short because i think his Drax he is very moving and there's a great emotional arc to that character and there's not to say that which you, by the way you can, can I say at con Steven Spielberg said Guardians of the Galaxy was his absolute favorite superhero movie yeah great James Gunn put that out I was like I can't believe it and I'm like well but he's right it is you know totally reason because he said it was the first superhero movie where he's walked out saying I'd never seen that before and anything could happen the other thing I was going to say is things like voice you, we can you can take a buy on as far as a person person mm-hmm. personification in a movie you can you can always modify yeah. that a bit yeah um and Lord knows they did it. Uh, you know, stay within Guardians of the Galaxy. They 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 yeah. changed a lot of the way people yeah. people spoke in that, and and especially Star Lord. Although there now you brought up, you know who else would make a great monk? Who John, John C. Riley? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So those were great. Casting choices. I hope I can remember all of them uh, tonight. Uh, Will they be on the podcast? What? <laughs> no. It's, yes. Will they be on the podcast? They'll be on the podcast. They'll be on the podcast. I know, but I want to remember them tonight, so I can put them, you know, so I can put it up there while it's still like a hot story and people are, uh, you know, giving a lot of attention uh, because they'd, they'd be really cool casting choices. What about that Captain Marvel movie? Okay, so we ran an article. Troy Benson finally, finally wrote an article, though he still he a lost soapbox. He lost the well. That's what he does best. Yeah, you know, and um, 
he lost the invite to WordPress. So it's like he sent me the Word document. I'm like, no, you got to go in. And I said, you got to fill out the profile because already people were responding on Twitter. Um, so I'm saying they loved the idea. What the article was saying was basically since you've had all this whitewashing controversy with characters, and I, I have no answer here tonight, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's saying, why not make Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, a character that I'd say, this is me saying, like Iron Man, when the movie was made, is not one who's really burst into the larger public consciousness. Not at all. Not at all. And um, not not as much as characters that have come since then. Like Ms. Marvel, I would say, is much more... Right. So People are much more aware of that. Right. So he was saying... Well, why not give it to an Asian-American actress? Yeah. Uh, give the role. At the same time that Marvel, Kevin Feige touted, you know, that uh, that Black Panther is going to be a cast as 90% African and African-American. And it was like, yeah, awesome. Which, by the way, yes, I agree. Yeah, awesome. Because it's totally appropriate. It's If the yeah. movie's going to be placed in Wakanda, of course. Uh, but regardless, even if it wasn't, it's Black Panther's cast. It absolutely should be. Yeah, you know, um, and Chadwick Boseman was great. Uh, we know this. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's very cool. But there's no reason that Carol Danvers could not be. Sorry, I just I was flashing on them remaking Coming to America with the Black Panther, and no, I don't want to do. That. Although I think that one of the runs did kind of set make that joke. I think they did. Uh, but I, they didn't quite go so far as to do a whole movie that way. No, no, that's not what they're going to do. Thanks again. But it's a great idea right for a short film. It's a great idea for a short film. Um, maybe, uh, but we're not going to make it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you know that's that. There is a you know great thing. So he, he suggested an Asian American actress. Uh, he didn't name anybody, but he just said you know there that is the great loss, and and, and it's true. I was thinking about this is like. Uh, you know, we got upset when people were upset that you'd cast Michael B. Jordan. I mean, we talked about this as like Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. The problem I had was not Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm because he totally embodied everything that I felt, the hothead Johnny that I felt Storm. valuable yeah. to Johnny's character, important to it. My problem was, well, how do you explain then Sue Storm or, or ignore it? And they didn't ignore it. You know, you saw it as a little tortured, yeah. stupid moment. Um, not the fault of any of the actors. Right. (laughs) You know, it's not, who knows? I think like monkeys went in and edited that. Maybe that's what they're going to say 10 years from now. Those are the good parts. No. Um, so anyway, uh, that's, that's not the, that's not And by the way, Michael B. Jordan has joined the cast of Black Panther. Uh, so, uh, which is in the true Marvel tradition of taking a Fantastic Four cast member (laughs) and bringing them in. There's another one. Michael Chiklis would make a good monk. Safe haven. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, see, come here, Michael. Do you have a here, he- We'll help you heal. Do you have a future? Unless, unless possibly he's one of the villains. He's like, he might be Killmonger. We don't know who he's playing. Ooh, interesting. Because he's, he's not T'Challa. Yeah. I would like to see like Killmonger's a big guy, though. But It's like a mountain be. of a man. He just played Creed. He's a mountain of a man. He could be made to be a mountain of a man. Okay. I don't know. I, okay. Because, you know, honestly, I don't know Black Panther's supporting cast well enough wow. um, but anyway to the point Troy puts this out there and we got a series of tweets from uh, a reader named Sean Dent you complain about uh, and, and it, it, it looks to me by the way that I, I don't know if it's an impl- that Sean Dent is himself African American 
you complain about ra- race changing, so your solution is race changing. Hypocrisy. No matter what excuse you give it, it's hypocrisy. Kamala, Kamala, Kamala Khan is Pakistani. They didn't change Ms. Marvel's race. Someone new took over. Right. There's a difference. Right. This is not about being concerned a buxom blonde won't find work, which is one of Troy's throwaway lines. It's staying true to the character. The Marvel excuse to change Carol Asian is just that, an excuse. Yes, there is whitewashing, but two wrongs don't make a right. And so, I mean, my thing back is there is I I didn't get too much into this. I said, thank you. I, I will pass these comments along to Troy, which I did. And say, you know, and, and ask permission to, yeah. to read this on the podcast because he was obviously responding to a letter and not from the podcast, to an article rather. Um, I have a response right off the top. That's, and that's it's probably a similar one, but I'll let you do it. Okay. Get all the hate mail. No, there, Marvel has changed at least five times the person who is the role. Well, but that is the point that Troy made. Yeah. That there is uh, Monica Rambeau, right. who is the African American in the New Orleans. There's a man first. It was it, it right, was right, and well, that's what he's saying. Marvel. It's the Marvel excuse. He's saying right. Troy laid all those out, and this guy responded to that uh, perfectly well. We're speaking of Carol Danvers specifically, and my my only thing is, I would say, um, you know, is that no one knows who she. is is in the mainstream right no i i I think you just write you write the storyline and in fact you do it in the comic as well and you just basically have carol danvers give up the title create a new and have a new character take on who just happens to be create a new captain marvel yeah again who happens to be asian american i or asian for that matter i shouldn't even say Asian. asian america uh yeah i i don't know that they we're getting an asian superman if they cast, if they did cast an Asian actress, I have no doubt that's what Marvel would do. Uh-huh. I don't know that they're going to do that. My other suspicion is Kevin Feige knows exactly who is going to be Captain Marvel. No. And I'll admit, I totally did this for just clickbait, was that, that uh, glamour cover with uh, Chloe, with Chloe. Grace Moretz. Yeah. But she is wearing it a was jacket. At the den- it was at my dentist today. It, it been, but the, the jacket looks like, you know. It does. It, it, kind of a muted movie version of the Captain Marvel costume. Um but then someone was mad at me for like posting that she's too young. I mean, I love this that we that we care right. so much, right? Right. Uh, and you know she's too young to be a captain. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Who says? And Nova was an old guy until it was a young, young guy. guy. Uh, well, he wasn't that old. Uh, he's an old. He's now he's an old guy. Well, they made him. They reckoned him old. Right. You know, they made him like he was younger than Peter Parker originally. Originally, and, and, and then, then they, they aged him. Yeah. Uh, space travel, so you know, uh, well, Einsteinian space. It should have it it worked the other way around, oh. uh, but uh, not when you go far enough out there. No, I'm pretty sure time is. works differently out there. I know it does, but it, it slows down. That's the that's what Einstein said. It ain't the years; it's the mileage. It's the parsecs, ass. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, so you know we shall see, and I know we're going to get an a- announcement within the next six months. I mean, there's just no. I well, are we going to get it at Comic Con? That I don't know. I think they're going to do another El Capitan uh, big event that we won't be invited to. That they will announce <laughs> who it is, and that's okay. We're going as waiters again, right? Uh, you ever been to the El Capitan? No, they don't have waiters. <laughs> the, I take that back. If you get to the bottom, there's a basement. It would be awkward, but we could still go in as waiters. <laughs> there's a basement. And because uh, when the Force Awakens, 
opened when it played there, they did like a special, you could buy a package where you could have cocktails afterwards. Cocktails uh-huh. and cosplay. Nice. And so there's a basement where they did have like a bartender and there's a couple of waitstaff walking around and they take photos while you played with. It's one of those events that ultimately once I went there, I'm like, I mean, people are paying extra to play with the lightsaber when I. Yeah, already have one. Buy one for what it costs you. <laughs> like, I already have one and do play. Wait, maybe I shouldn't have said that amongst you people. Uh, you know, uh-huh. it was. But anyway, um, my lightsaber is better than this one. <laughs> no, I didn't say that because uh, the lightsaber. The only lightsaber that I have is uh, the one I got at Comic Con last last year. And actually, I didn't oh, okay. have it. I gave it. I, I gave it to Luke because uh, I knew he would have a better time with it. You know, I get those things, and I just think. I have a child. I shouldn't deny my child the oh, pleasure sure. of these things. Um, but Paramount was trying to deny people the pleasure of the very Klingon language. And we're going to straddle movies Kaplow. and television. What does that mean? That's what we say when we drink. No, oh, that's what they say at the Klingon party. <laughs> yeah. I'll find out at Baycon again. Yeah. I yeah. shouldn't drink too much because I've got this dirty game show to play. Another warp core, please. Uh, warp core breach, please. Oh. Uh, Anyway, in this ongoing battle about Axanar and fan films and, and Paramount saying you've got, you're violating all these things about Star Trek and Star, and, and the, the producers of Axanar went back with a, a counter brief that said, well, what about, you know, you have to define what Star Trek is. And I'm, I'm really shortening this down. But it one, but one of the definitions Paramount came back with is like the Klingon language. So. Right. The counter to that. By the way, legal brief filed largely in Klingon. (laughs) (laughs) At least all the insults. (laughs) Um, Basically saying that you can't copyright a language. Paramount's argument was that no one actually speaks Klingon, and the response is BS. You've released no one. Some, Paramount does. You, you, no lawyers do. You've you've released no fewer than fifty-five books, or maybe not all through Paramount's licensing, right? But there are no fewer than fifty-five books in the written Klingon language. It's taught at colleges. I taught it. I, I, I taught. I saw a web page reporting on it and said. We would reprint some of the of the argument, but we don't have the fonts for Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> and so this battle, this legal battle, is one of the most entertaining things <laughs> happening to happen. But it is as my comment back, uh, Chris Knight, who had Christopher Knight, who had been a guest on the podcast, he's part of Piers, and they have on June fourth the Captain America right. Red, White and Blue Ball coming up. And so he posted it to me and said, have you seen this? And I said, here it is. Pop culture is eating pop culture. Like these, like, I don't know what the answers are, but when Axnar was first came, came out, when the idea of Axnar first came out and the lawsuit first came, I said, at some point, what we have to do, what these IP owners have to do is if you really want to control, you, you can't control it, but if you want a piece there are things you can do to keep a peace, like license. Right. Hey, you can make this film if you pay us a percentage. W- a percentage of you know uh, whatever your budget is has to go to give you know. But it's like doing a play. Yeah. If I wanted to do Waiting for Godot for off the top of my head, I'd have to pay the rights holders like a hundred fifty dollars per performance of it. Now, when you get into YouTube videos or whoever internet distribution. 
you got to work something out. Uh, so it's a, little a bit bold different. new frontier. But they're but they're trying to hold on to the old ways. Yeah. And when and when the argument gets so silly as, I'm sorry, James Dewan came up with some words for the original series. I know that someone came in and developed it for uh, the movie for Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh-huh. And definitely, when you got by the time for, I think where the most Klingon got spoken. Uh, was the search for Spock when you had uh, Christopher Lloyd as as commander? I used Cruz. to still do the malts, what you know, whatever the thing was to beam me up. Uh, malts, and, and so you know, and, and I know that there's guy, and at Bacon there is a guy who is a linguist who is uh, an expert in, in Klingon. Klingon. Uh, so I'll be fascinated to talk to this guy to to discuss like what he his take on this is. But that's what I mean is the fandom has gotten bigger than what they're fans of. Yeah. I know that in Cleveland a, a few years ago they did an all Klingon ver- adaptation, not just a translation, an adaptation of a Christmas Carol. What was a Klingon Christmas Carol like? And that was a that was a three week run <laughs> in a Cleveland theater. <laughs> you got a lot, of, you know. I mean, it is. And, and so someone says, if you can't, if, if Paramount's saying you can copyright a language, well, who who owns Dothraki? And we know that a linguist yeah. came up with developed that for. I mean, the article I saw was like, someone's going to tell George R. R. Martin he doesn't own Dothraki, and I'm like, um, well, actually, I don't think he actually developed it. Someone did for for Game of Thrones. Uh, I mean, there were again some. You're words. saying someone did it for the HBO production, right? But isn't the book? Don't you always correct me? It's a Song of Ice and Fire, right? Yes, but so George R. R. Martin wrote that novel series, right? But saying that the language of the Dothraki, the full syntax, the everything, where the people are walking around being, uh, there are people right. who are fluent in it, um, are walking around because it was developed for the HBO series Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I believe you're correct, but I I know that Martin had, I mean, there, obviously there are a number of words in right. in the original, in the books that are then the germ for and, and, the language. And then, well, the thing I go deeper is, who's going to argue on Elvish? Is the Tolkien, does the Tolkien All estate... Tolkien. Since I know people who are fluent in, I'm, I'm related to people who are fluent in Elvish, couldn't pass Spanish, a real language. Okay, I'm sorry. It's an, old, <laughs> it's an old joke I tease my, uh, tease this relative about. But there it is, you know, is I know the people that are in Elvish, what you owe, owe royalties. But Tolkien did do that language. He did. No, he I know, did, but I'm right. saying is, did he trademark that? Does he kind of, oh, did he, he once you pass that language out, and that's and that's the crossroads we're at yeah. in pop culture is that yeah. idea of I was thinking about this like in China, where the copyright laws are a little different, and you've seen like or in India you've seen the Bollywood version of Spider Man and right. and Superman and uh, you the know Turkish ones are the worst. The rest of the world or the best. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the world doesn't care, and. And out there too is isn't there something fun? I mean, see, we're talking about Doc Savage. There's still someone. There's still a rights holder controlling Doc Savage. First appearance, 1933. He's, they've got to get something out there because I think we're like two years, uh, maybe five years away from when the actual rights to the Man of uh-huh. Bronze would have to expire. They would have to go into public domain uh-huh. uh, under the current laws. I I did that math off the top of my head. You all know how bad I'm at it, so I just someone can write in and tell me what it really is. But it's about that. So Doc Savage isn't in public domain. But then you have rights holders that aren't necessarily fans. They're business people who say things like, when Dynamite gets it, we need a modern-day team because we want to make it modern-day. Yeah. But Shane Black, the true fan, comes in and says, no, 
you know, let's do it originally, which then leads to the TV news this week, which is as a result of the flash last week's episode was directed by Kevin Smith, a true fanboy. And for a few weeks on Hollywood Babylon, he'd been talking about his take, uh, his approach to directing. And it's kind of, it is funny, but it's also like he said, you know, the response was from cast and crew, the affection from of, of him as the DC fanboy was infectious yeah. to them. And yeah. if you, I, I don't think you've watched that episode yet. I have not. Yet. But I said it, it played to, they wrote it to Smith's strengths. It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of, two-person interaction but with some really you know there's a lot of emotion to it i don't i don't think smith gets his due for that he's not a great action director he's one of the first people to say that and will admit that um and yet he's directed an action but you know it's because he wanted to try uh and the running scenes in jay and silent bob strike back were probably closest he's come to I, I have to watch that again i i, I want to go through all of kevin smith's work again uh, like i've seen everything yeah and really and i've enjoyed it some more than others i take it back i haven't seen red state or tusk yet so i haven't seen this new have you watched all the cartoon series of uh, the six episodes so, Kirk, i've only watched Kirk. one i enjoyed it i missed the other yeah. episodes it's always on my list of yeah i you know i, I should but but that's not real. you know he produced it he didn't yeah, he wasn't as direct. I'm talking the films he's directed mm-hmm. and written, and uh, he has a way with with dialogue. Uh, you know, I'll say, you know, like a, an old grandpa here. I, I wish there wasn't so much swearing, um, but just a little bit because I think he could get a wider audience and deserves a wider audience for the truths he tells. Um, but anyway, it was very honest. So then he said on the Hollywood Babylon po- podcast this week that was. Uh, it w- went live out on iTunes Monday morning, and I'm one behind. So yesterday morning, and I so I hadn't didn't hear it. I just read it that he said that MGM, as a result of he got big buzz in te- the television industry for his episode before it was even broadcast because people mm. Warner Brothers was saying he did a hell of a good job, and he did do a hell of a good job. And so MGM, who are producing the Fargo TV series. Uh, for FX, I think, yeah. It's I think it's FX. FX. Uh, called him in and said, we got Buckaroo Bonsai. What would you do with Buckaroo Bonsai? And so he said, first season, uh, and I thought about this more after we after we, we had dinner together last night before yeah. seeing the nice guys, that, uh thought about this more, is, is he said, first season, you retell the movie. Second season, you uh, do the movie that was promised against the World Crime League. One, I think you can actually go anywhere. Yes, we do need to see Hanoi Shan eventually. We need to see against the yeah. World Crime League. Yeah. I'm totally with him there. But the other thing I thought was you could do 10 half hours because no network is attached to this yet, but it's like stars with Ash versus Evil Dead. You could do 10 half hour seasons, uh, 10 episodes, episodes of a half, hour, a half each hour each per season. Right. Because I don't think, if anything, you don't need to expand out the plot of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Yeah. Which I want to correct this. I mean, everybody's going with it across the eighth dimension. But as a true uh, Blue Blazer regular, I have to say that it's uh, it's the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. The first film is called Across the Eighth Dimension, like a subtitle. Right. You know, um, 
and the second one would have been the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. Right. So, um, so I just call the franchise Buckaroo Banzai, but everybody else is going, no, it's going to be called Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. I'm like, no, that was the, that's only that one. Well, look at Game of Thrones. I know, but it still bothers me because it's not because then I did look up the um, that the Fox series attempt, which uh-huh. only did they did like a demo of special effects, like the the jet car rescuing a, a, a space shuttle, uh, okay, or the or a plane. I guess maybe it wasn't a space shuttle, and I remember watching it, but I haven't watched the DVD in a while. They did like a three minute. Uh, what do you call it? animatic of it right uh so they were in 1998 fox was going to do a series called buckaroo bonsai ancient mysteries and new dang it i can't remember what the new event it's not new adventures it's too that's too prosaic uh it, it's uh new mysteries ancient ancient, ancient secrets ancient and- ancient secrets and new mysteries okay and uh so uh and it went nowhere all they got was that little schematic there was a right. script that script was like it was reprinted was adapted into a comic book called buckaroo bonsai turn of the screw by moonstone books mm-hmm. so um and then there have been a couple more from moonstone but I'll, I'll be honest uh i didn't enjoy them uh so i didn't get the last couple because i didn't enjoy the turn of the screw they got a lot more serious they weren't as joy uh, well and and smith said he wants to bring in like reach out to wd richter and earl mcrush that's the original director and 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 writer for some guidance but i think at this point they uh i would I, i would say yes absolutely bring them in an advisory capacity but let's bring some new energy because here it is another case of a whole generation has grown up with this fandom and this appreciation of it. I know it's still a cult film. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, but if you've seen it and you liked it, you loved it. And yeah. so, uh, that's, uh, it, it would be very interesting to see. And if, and, and I think the book is still reasonably priced on Amazon. Uh, the mass market paper, paperback. Yeah, I think the, they're like into the, the trade that came out. Uh, it's 18 bucks. I priced it out less yeah. on Amazon. Uh, the trade paperback that came out when they released the DVD originally, um, it, which was the adaptation of the novel that came out in 84, which didn't get a lot of distribution because no, neither did the movie, right? Uh, but um, in that book, there's a lot of references to earlier adventures because it's definitely like it's that novel is as if you're picking up a, an issue in the middle of the pulp run. Of the run of the pulp novels, right. so they're like you know, as reference, remember this. This is what happens in the little asterisk. This happened in right. in Bunker Bonsai versus this, or you know, whatever, whatever title they gave. So there's a lot of clues strewn about. It plays to the same thing as uh, as Star Wars did when it came for, out the first time. People forget that the yeah. Journal of the Wills, yeah. yeah, Episode Four. Well, it wasn't even Episode Four. It was right. the the novel, the secret. But you written. get the crawl that 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 reminds you of everything that's come before this. Right, there's yeah. a dark time of the galaxy. But but the novel itself, the Alan Dean Foster, begins yeah. with, which I don't think anybody ever went back to, was there's a prologue, with an old lady telling the story like in a marketplace, to people hearing. She's telling the story of Luke Skywalker. Oh yeah. And so it was originally, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was, it was called Star Wars. The novel was Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. Uh-huh. That was the original name for the series, at least what Fox thought or Del Rey thought. Right. And, and then of course there's also a little quote from the Journal of the Wills, 
which people still reference, but but outsiders, outsiders, normal people, uh, don't know that that's what it was. Like there was supposedly, uh, I can't remember who just recently said this, that they thought that everything was being dictated, the Journal of the Wills were being dictated by R2. It's a new fan theory. Hmm. And the reason you think that they think that R2, Episode 7 blows this theory, but 1 through 6 fits is, R2 is secretly the hero who saves everything. The character that shouldn't be the most competent is Hmm. and is actually central to all the action. R2 is always there. So (laughs) it's like, so the idea is, uh, so this fan theory is that R2 is the one at the end, you know, before his circuits finally die out, he's telling the story and making himself the hero, which is funny because then the Lego, the droid chronicles, I think is what they just recently did on Cartoon Network. C-3PO tells the stories, uh, the stories of each movie in a half-hour episode in which he is the most central character to to all the action, that none of it would have happened if not for C-3PO. So, you know, fitting. Uh, so Buckaroo Banzai is coming back. In what form, we don't know. Smith says it's a done, that it is. He has signed a contract. He's moving forward just to see who's interested. I couldn't even hypothesize now who you would cast because one thing I, we were talking about last night is in the wake of, of where we are, the controversies we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, you cannot get away with casting Peter Weller or an actor like Peter Weller who played Buckaroo Banzai originally, who was half Japanese, who was supposed to be. I don't supposed think Peter be. Weller is I don't not. Think so. Is half Japanese, half American. Jamie Lee Curtis in the cut scene played his mother. Right. I can't remember who played his dad. Um, I don't think it was actually someone at the time well known. Jamie Lee Curtis was quite a coup, you know, mm-hmm. because she was hanging around with those kind of cult actors. Yeah, you know. Uh, but he, but Smith has said he'd like to bring Peter Weller back as a as a villain. Uh, so, but trying to come up with, I think it's got to be an unknown, which Peter Weller kind of was uh, at the time. Yeah, he had, by that he had done Shoot the Moon with Albert Finney and Diane Keaton. He was really good in it. Um, but it was certainly, and I say that as a guy who. I didn't watch Shoot the Moon until after I saw Buckaroo Banzai because I wanted to see what Peter Weller had been in. But Yeah, the uh, only thing, yeah, it, along those lines, the only thing you were saying you wouldn't expand it at all, the only thing I would actually expand would be the beginning part where they talk about his family and they talk about John Big Boutte and, and... You can go over some of the some of that history. but That setup, because I think it gets rushed in the movie. Well, because it was cut. Like yeah. Apparently there's... Even there's still even more footage that was lost from mm-hmm. a roadshow version or a test version. What exists is an extra in the and what was was pirated at, uh, at conventions for a long time. It's, I think it, it, that and the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie were the only two those pirated VHSs I ever bought. I freely admit it uh, because at the time it was the only way you could get oh, yeah. you could get the director's cut as they called it a Buckaroo Banzai, and it included this thing where it had been reduced to a home movie which was the first test of the overthruster mm-hmm. uh, that sent him into the eighth dimension and killed, uh, yeah, the, that, that's where the co- it blew up. It killed uh, Buckaroo Banzai's parents. It was right. revealed to have been Hanoi Shan, which then I think one of the reasons it was cut was because that whole reference to Hanoi Shan never appears again, except that there's the implication his wife had been killed, uh, Peggy, Peggy Pretty, played by Ellen Ellen Barkin. Penny Pretty is the character who is there, who is played by Ellen Barkin. Uh, Hannah Shan had killed Peggy as well, but he's not named in that either. 
Um, but the narration by Clancy Brown does say this is from the secret files of, of Buckaroo Banzai and uh, from the Banzai Institute. And this is the day that Hanai Shan killed his parents. But it also sent Dr. Emilio Lazardo mm-hmm. into the eighth dimension. He was possessed by John Warfin. Right. And then put in an insane asylum. So it's. Warfin. Yes. Yeah. He was W-H-O-R. I know because I was thinking. I, first I was thinking Big Boutte, but that was Christopher Lloyd. Right. Uh, so. Uh, Big Boutte. Big Boutte. Yeah. Uh, it was a summer of quoting that over and over and over to people that did not get it. No. Uh, but anyway. Laugh while you can, monkey boy. <laughs> it's not my planet, monkey boy. Um, so it's. Uh, uh, you know, so it, it, it will be a great thing. Uh, we'll see what happens. It's very culty, but again, it could fit on stars. Just as we were saying, I can't remember what show we were talking about last week, where it's like the audience doesn't have to be that big if you find the right, no. the right home for it. Yeah. So we shall see. The other thing, uh, I'm going to flip here because you did point out that we have a game thing that ties into Buckaroo Banzai because the script for it, for the original film, had been designed, had been adapted from an idea to be a sequel to Buckaroo Banzai, which was Big Trouble in Little China. Right. W.D. Richter, who directed Buckaroo Banzai, wrote the script for John Carpenter of Big Trouble in Little China, and it had and uh, Lo Pan had originally been intended to be Hanoi Shan, and oh. so he switched it. He changed it and altered because Buckaroo Banzai wasn't going to get a sequel, right? So he took some of those ideas and, and put that in there. So, you said there's a deck-building game coming. So, Legendary, the deck-building system, is being adapted for a Big Trouble in Little China uh, cooperative deck-building game. So, basically, deck-building games, in short, are games where you start off with a number of cards that are basically used to trade in and advance your deck you basically mm-hmm. buy decks from a buy cards from a pool and as you play you get more and more cards in your deck and you can go up against bigger and badder right. characters in the cooperative game everyone plays against these villain and threat cards that come out and are set on the table and you you take them on on your turn or you get assistance from other people too so it's a natural for big trouble because i mean you have any number of humongous threats that no one person <laughs> in the right mind could take on except for Jack. Um, and Jack really doesn't Jack do anything. Jack says, what do you got? Yeah. So uh, looking forward to that. I mean, the, the legendary the legendary uh, system originally came out from Marvel Comics and it's been adapted for a couple other, uh, other most notably um, Aliens and mm-hmm. Aliens versus Predator. Um card game so looking forward to this it's uh shouldn't be too long maybe a couple of months that'd be fun i think uh i is pointed out you know definitely we get drew campbell in here to play again oh yeah he was in for um, uh, chris garcia had borrowed the thread and he was interested in playing well, yeah i was counting who would receive who responded right. to mine so that i could right. count okay if i got this uh but it's one of those things as i know as excited i would be Everybody who would play it is right here, so why should I bother buying it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, is involved with the podcast. We're going to have a big nerd gaming day at this house yeah, this summer. Say. Yep. Just we let will. me know. Yes. Um, so, okay. Uh, so the last thing I'd say is that the, uh, that the UK government approved the BBC to have a, a streaming service. Now, as you had questioned me earlier, 
you thought you did they did have that in the UK. It's the iPlayer. It's on the BBC website. Quite good, actually. It is, but it only runs shows for 30, uh, 30 days after. If they do a streaming services like Hulu Plus for BBC sh- programming, which would mean that you could have 50 years worth of Doctor Who in one, and I would pay that subscription fee. Oh, yeah. Because I was in a Barnes & Noble this weekend, and I was like, and they had one of the, the lost episodes of Troughton. And right. And I was like, okay, even on sale, it was still like 25 bucks for something that I knew I was only going to watch once and I don't have room for on my shelf. Man, I, I wish I'd taken advantage of when Hulu had them all. Yeah. And all we want, uh, Luke and I watched some Sixth Doctor and some Seventh Doctor, and I kept meaning to go back and rewatch Fourth Doctor, and I thought, no, I should go back at the beginning, and I never did, and now it's all gone. Now, you pretty much start... You pretty much start with the third Doctor, John Pertwee. I mean, you, know, you can. I mean, you can start anywhere. But for me, most of the mythology that you're used to today starts either with Pertwee. No, I know, but I'm not. But I already know the mythology. Right. I want to. I want to see how it all happened, what right. was going on, and and see some first Doctor. I've never seen anything with the actual never William Hartnell, oh, other wow. than like the clips they always show. Oh. You okay. know, and I've watched the Adventures in Time and Space, the the, sure, the sure. movie they did a couple of years ago, which I thought was really good. But I want to see that original stuff. I've never even seen the Cushing movies. Uh, oh so, man, those are crazy fun. You know, so I mean, and which I think they'd be fun to find and show Luke. Yeah. Um, so you know, we I'm looking for, but even when you go with that BBC streaming, which then I think opens the floodgate for the BBC America to stream here so yeah. if you're saying i'd pay that five bucks give me a comic-con hq price five bucks a month so i can watch unlimited doctor who but it's not just doctor who it's a lot of comedies uh that uh, it's sherlock it's sure it's orphan black which i mean things are available on other on other sites i mean but- really old stuff like adam adamant or um you never even, you got no. any blanks. It's a, a adventure out of time story. Okay, I was going with Adam and uh, you know Adam, Adam and, and the ants, and, and I was like, okay, ant music, great. I I have their albums. Yeah, uh, but or uh, the survivors. I knew that you were going to pull that one up. Uh, is Blake Seven a BBC or was that an ITV? I think it was ITV. Okay, um, you know, but but there's you know. It, the thing is that doesn't mean they couldn't make a deal even if they pulled out of well that's true if they pulled out of hulu plus if they pulled out of netflix what they've given like i think orphan black is on on netflix yeah and and maybe pulled from amazon prime which currently has all the jerry anderson's again as well so uh if to go with thunderbirds or go and you pulled those then there's plenty of other American content that's going to go to those. Like, you know, as Jason Salazar bitterly posted, like, why are we looking to Netflix to save everything? Because we didn't say last week, Supergirl's renewed, but by moving to the CW, which means, oh my gosh, I already subscribed to the streaming service that will show me Supergirl, as opposed to having to subscribe to CBS, which is still going to get my money because of the new Star Trek series. But it's like, great, but the other upside was, oh, no more Comcast Viagra commercials in the middle of uh, Supergirl. Of Supergirl. Uh, so it gets to be a family show on Hulu. Yeah. And I'm I'm very excited about that. But Agent Carter was canceled, and people are looking to, you know, are saying, already doing the petition, can we get Agent Carter revived on Netflix? Well, the thing I'd say is, well, of course you could, but, then the, but what people aren't seeing is Netflix has a Marvel brand. Yes. 
and it's not Agent Carter. And they've got a backlog of stuff too. And I, I mean, wish they've got stuff I, planned I, out I for a while. I don't want Haley Atwell's character. I don't want Agent Carter. No, you don't want her to, to be, be gone. Like yeah. I, I still want to see that resolution. Yeah. What would be because it ended essentially on a cliffhanger. I'd like to see what season three would be. But the other thing with Haley Atwell is, and the way that Agent Carter was set up is we didn't know when Shield was actually founded. You could wait three years. And they could find a gap in production schedule and tell that story. Yeah. Although, you know, you just said that and I flashed on, I would love a Cold War era Nick Fury fighting Hydra as well, a period piece. Well, and there's like the, Man from Uncle. But, okay, I don't know, like a 60s, something was going on in the 60s and yeah. Haley Atwell could, you know, give her five years and age her a little bit. I mean, no, she does not look nearly that old, but she was effect- She lo- has looked effective oh, yes. in every age they've made her yes. in Ant-Man and Captain America. The thing with Nick Fury, uh, you know, is, okay, are they willing to tell that story? And is Samuel L. Jackson willing to be that? Because you can't make the, old, the, the original version of Nick Fury. And there's a thing. Marvel did it. Marvel's written him into the, into the current Nick Fury. It, that Nick, but that current Nick Fury is much younger. Yeah, as the son is what I'm saying. When and Samuel L. Jackson is almost seventy, so yeah. uh, that's it's just I I there's there's another one we're talking about. Two wrongs don't make a right. Like the Nick Fury casting is a case where what most people who most people knew Nick Fury to be mm-hmm. who's played by David Hasselhoff for gosh sakes. We changed the ethni- the the ethnicity of. Right of Nick Fury. Granted, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch had done it in the Ultimates first. Right, uh, but it was the right thing to. It was a. It's a great characterization of Nick Fury. I can't imagine anybody else playing him on screen. But that he's, was he's a great. The current Nick, uh, the Jackson-based Nick Fury is great for the 21st century, yes. which is why I was saying Cold War. This is an ancestor of the current. Current. Okay. Okay. Right. Although I I feel like there was a, there was an implication early on that he is like sort of out of the Ultimates. How Nick Fury in the Ultimates was a super soldier, mm. and that he is much older than he appears to be. Yeah. Because he he's referenced in Iron Man uh, or in Iron Man Two. I knew your father. He's made a big deal to Tony Stark about hanging out with Howard. And we he used just to deliver seen, newspapers to your father. And we just haven't seen it. No. Um, yeah, I know. Please, I've seen enough of Dominic Cooper's performance of Howard Stark. Nobody delivered newspapers to Howard Stark. Ah, oh, kills me. Yeah. Um, although we'll see him on Preacher, and that's all right. More TV. Uh, so I think that's it for this week. We are hopefully podcasting next week out of the seven stars. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that publicly, but we will well, be back next week. We we have and plans we, too. They may not come. And, and we have uh, and we have plans for at least one special guest uh, on that show. So uh, someone who someone who no, readers of the one. website uh, yes may be familiar with no matter what we say that's true no yes. matter who it is that's true yes. all right so uh, we say thank you and uh, once again write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. this is Derek McCaw editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com. and I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only for good. good.
And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.